Well, good morning, Meadowbrook Baptist Church. Half of you are awake. This is an early service, and it's been a while since I've had opportunity to speak in an early service like this. I generally am going around and visiting our 67 churches, uh, whether I'm speaking or visiting. I've had the opportunity to be here a couple of times already, and I want you to know I have loved every minute of it. So on behalf of our 67 association churches, I want to say thank you for all that you do. What a blessing this church has been over the years for us, and I'm grateful for the partnership. Uh, the most recent was our Christmas gift shop, and you guys were just phenomenal on your mission celebration weekend to not only come by our table, but to pick up the cards and, and help in sponsoring a child. There were uh, a no 16 confirmed professions of faith this year in Christmas gift shop, and you had a part in that, so thank you so much. In addition, this church uh, last year, you gave to the Shelby Baptist Association just shy of $10,000. In addition, you gave to the uh, community, church and community ministries, another almost $14,000. In addition to that, you gave almost, um, I'm sorry, 464 pounds of food. You have been a blessing to the ministries of the Shelby Baptist Association. You know, not all churches in our association are your size or your means. In fact, only about six, I mean, 67% of our churches really, they run less than a hundred on a Sunday morning. 37% or almost 37% run less than 50. And a lot of those churches need partners, and you have been a great partner with the ministry. So thank you so much. At the association, our goal is we work with four buckets, so to speak. We want to encourage our churches and our pastors and their staff. We want to encourage them because it's a difficult day in ministry. My son's a senior at Sanford University, finishing up... Not supposed to talk about Noah. That's him coming back to curse me. <laughs> Noah's a senior planning to go in, into student ministry, heading to southeastern, most likely, uh, seminary after he finishes at Sanford. And I look and I think about him and going into the ministry and how much different it is now than I, when I entered the ministry some <laughs> years ago. A long time ago. But the thing that I look at it is that we need encouragement from one another. We need to learn how to help equip others because, you know what, before the pandemic in March of 2020 started, very few churches were doing an online presence. And so we've had to look and think about how do we do ministry differently? So we want to help equip churches to do that. We want to help empower. Just like I mentioned that 67% run less than 100. They want to do ministries in the community, but they don't always have the resources to do it. So we want to help them find ways to get those resources and partner with them. Then finally, engage in ministries, whether it's in Moldova or Alaska, where I just got back looking at a vision tour for partnering with them or on an Indian reservation in South Dakota where I've been working for the, since 15 in partnership with ministry out there, or in Meadowbrook, Alabama. There is a need to engage in ministry and partner with others in fulfilling that commission. 
So thank you on behalf of all of that. You know, we exist to make disciples by meeting needs. You know, when you start showing someone that you want to help meet their need, there is a connection there. And that connection will make a trust to develop. And once that trust is developed, then they're open to hear what you have to say about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's why we exist. And as I mentioned, our buckets, we use those. But I want to say this, and I don't know if Pastor Chris is going to be listening in on this service or both services and make sure I don't mess anything up. You know, I'm only one thought away from stupidity. And don't laugh, some of you are too, okay? So you're with me. But as we look at all this, Pastor Chris and I have known each other for quite a while. He and I served on a board at Sanford several years ago, and we've been friends ever since and ministry partners. And and I just love your pastor. What a great guy. I mean, doesn't he have it all? Look, I mean, a great leader. Isn't he a great leader? A great family, Ashley and Kinsley and Paxton and Eli. I mean, he's got the looks, right? He's thin. He can eat what he wants and not worry about it. He's still got all of his hair and it's not gray. Don't you just hate him? (laughs) Actually, I love Pastor Chris and I appreciate the ministry that he is leading this church to do. When I heard about his vision to go knocking on all the 3,000 plus doors in y'all's corridor right here, knocking one-on-one and just saying, how can I pray for you? And hopefully opening the door to share the three circles. I'm like, yes, that's what we've got to be about on mission. But sometimes in our world, it's tough, isn't it? We don't know which way to go. We don't know what to do. We get a little antsy when we see things happening, especially the way the media builds everything up. And sometimes, just sometimes, they may exaggerate or not quite tell the truth. You know, I figured I would have something, a response right there. Just a little something. But, you know, here's the truth. I got a friend that gave me this pastor's sweat rag years ago. His name is is Ronnie. Ronnie would, anytime I would say something from the platform that just kind of got a little too close to home, I would hear Ronnie go, uh-oh. Uh-oh. So feel free. I'm used to that, okay? If I get a little too close to home, you've got the freedom to go, uh-oh. All right? If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to grab them, take them up, open them up, turn them on, power them up, whatever you've got to do. I'm going to be in the book of Joshua, in the book of Joshua, in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture from chapter 3. It'll be the very first five verses as well as a few others scattered about. But as we look at this, here's where we're going. We're looking, as you see on the screen there, the faith journey of 2022. You're on a faith journey. And sometimes our faith is going to be tried. And sometimes it's going to be tested. Sometimes we're going to say, oh my word, what in the world is going on? Many people right now in the Ukraine are feeling that. And that's rippling out to all of Eastern Europe. And that same feeling is even coming here as many of us have dear friends who have either come from or lived in or served in the Ukraine. 
And sometimes we're like going, what are we going to do? You know, I, I've got my, my phone with me this morning and the light is on for some reason. But on my phone, there is an app called Waze. Probably many of you have that same app. And here's the thing that I do is I will take this phone, I will plug it into my, my Jeep and, and it will pop up on my screen through CarPlay. And I've got that Waze app. And even if I'm going from my house to the office in Columbiana, and I just live right over here in Griffin Park, I'll plug in the office address, even though I know which way I'm supposed to go. But do you know why I do that? I have to get on 280. Are you with me? And sometimes 280 can be like you're trying to travel through Gehenna. And sometimes I need that app to tell me, you don't need to get on 280 right now. You need to go an alternate route because there's been an accident. There's a difficulty on that road. There's traffic backing up because of construction. Will they ever finish construction? So we need that app. And, and here's what we do. If we do that, even though we might feel like we know the way to go, well, our spiritual lives are the same way. We're on a faith journey. And every morning we need to be getting up, and even if we think we know the way we've been before, and we think we know where we're going, we need to open up and say, God, what's ahead? What's going on in the world today that I'm going to need you to direct me? Now, I know for those of you who maybe are like me, I'm an independent spirit. You know what that simply means? That's a fancy way of saying I'm stubborn. And I like to do things my way. And I don't want people telling me how to do things. And so I have to keep that in check. And I have to go to the Word of God and say, God, what do you have laid out for me today? In the leading up chapters here to Joshua 3, there's been a major paradigm shift that has taken place with the Israelites. Moses has been leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. He's led them all the way through the wilderness for the 40 years. And now they're right on the edge of about to enter into the promised land. They're right there at the east side of the Jordan River. And God says to Moses, well, it's time for you to come home. And we're going to let Joshua take over the lead. And he's going to lead them into the promised land. So there's a major paradigm shift in leadership. There's also a major paradigm shift that's taken place in the people. You see, all those people that had wandered in the wilderness, come out of Egypt, that made the decision that we don't trust God, we think we can go on into the promised land without Him, have died off. And this new group of people have consecrated themselves to follow after God. There's a major paradigm shift. Well, I don't know if you've noticed it, but in our society of recent... There has been a major paradigm shift. Whether you look on the political landscape, the economic landscape, or the 
spiritual landscape. Things have changed. Things have changed. If you just don't know about it, just go try to buy something right now. Look at the direction our country is headed in a lot of different ways. You know, at one time, a pastor was held as a revered man in the community. Now that pastor is looked at as like, well, he's just a charlatan. He's egotistical. He is narrow-minded. He is a phobic of everything that needs to be progressive in our society. And you follow the judo-Christian principles, and you are in the same camp. So there's a paradigm shift in which society is calling us to abandon our Christian convictions and commitments and conform to a tolerant ideology that really is interesting to use those two words together because their tolerant ideology is this. We're tolerant of you as long as you follow our way of thinking. You with me? So, that tolerant ideology is actually intolerant of Christian beliefs. So what do we do? They want us to abandon our relationship with Christ. They want us to forego our faithfulness and our commitments and convictions. But here's the thing. In order for us to receive our blessings from our Heavenly Father, we must be obedient in our convictions, and wholehearted in our commitment. If we're not, how can God bless those who are not wholeheartedly serving Him? So what we find in Joshua chapter 3 is a prescription of how we are to consecrate ourselves for this faith journey. I want to read to you Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to continue, and I'm going to read from the NIV. That's what your pastor uses. It's a tremendous translation. But I would invite you to stand with me as I read God's Word, because when we read God's Word, we should recognize its reverence and holiness, and we should stand in honor of such. It begins and reads like this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. Here's what they said. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow Then you will know which way to go. That's an important phrase. Highlight, underline, whatever you need to do. Make a notation of it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. He goes on though. He says, but keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. We'll talk about that in a moment. But then he wraps up this section in verse 5, And Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Would you like for God to do something amazing among you tomorrow? Maybe you're in a work environment that's toxic, and you need God to show up and do something. Wouldn't that be amazing? 
Maybe you're headed to a place you've never really lived before. Wouldn't you like for God to do something amazing? Maybe you live with someone that is kind of like me and not very easy to go along with sometimes. Wouldn't you like God to do something amazing in that relationship? Joshua tells us what to do. But before that, pray with me. Father, this morning as we open up this passage and we dig in, we don't have a lot of time, but we're going to look at it. You've got something to tell us. So God, what is it? What do you want to speak to us? What do you want us to do? Guide us this day. And may we be obedient to what you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. I know that the notes are not in your handout. Pastor Chris is going to probably preach that message next week or some other time. But what I'd invite you to do now is kind of follow along. On the screen is going to be some of my highlights of what I want you to grasp. The very first thing here, as I've already mentioned to you, is Moses has passed away. Joshua is the new leader. I love Joshua 1 in chapters uh, 1, verses 6 through 9, verse 18, where Joshua is told by God that he is to be strong and courageous in this new lead because God's going to be with him. But there is a situation that has to take place for God to be with us and bless us, and that's what we find in chapter 3. In the very first part of that, in verses in verse 5, where we look at this, it says, we are consecrated by filtering the contaminations. We live in a contaminated world. We have learned about that in COVID, haven't we? Used to, in fact, I was on a staff retreat one time. I watched a guy on my staff open a bag of chips, pour them out on a picnic table in a public area, just pour them straight on that table to start eating them. How many of you would do that right now? Consecrate ourselves is more, though, than just taking Lysol or a sanitizing wipe and wiping everything down. Consecrate ourselves when it talks about this. If you want to pull from Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 4, he says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your heart. No microband is going to circumcise our hearts. When we come in and consecrate ourselves to the Lord, what he's talking about, the proper preparation for this consecration included extensive and rigorous rituals. In that day, it was the washing of the hands, and they had certain ways to do that. The washing of the body, and they had certain ways to do that. Abstinence from certain foods, abstinence from sexual relationships at certain times. They had all of this. And the idea was to separate ourselves from those things that were considered unclean and common. Anything that would contaminate, anything that would take our focus off of God. So how do we do that? He lays out in this passage of Scripture three things that we must do. First of all, he says we are to approach the Lord. Verse 4, he says, come near. He's talking right there and he's talking about the Ark of the Covenant of God, which in that Ark, that represented the fullness of God, the Shekinah glory. It hovered above this, the holy seat, the Bema seat. It hold, its reverence was right there. And it reminds me of what we just celebrated at Christmas. We sang a song most likely in all of our churches, Emmanuel, God with us. 
And that's what he's talking about. We need to approach the very presence of God. Previously, he had been commanded, he had told them to stay away for a certain distance here. In verse 4, he says, stay away from 2,000 cubits. Most of you are like going, oh, I know that. I know exactly what a cubit is. We don't have a clue. Most of us. So what does that look like? Let's put it in this idea. It's 3,000 feet. 1,000 yards. Men, 10 football fields. You're like, I can't see that far. I thought you said come near. We are to come near, but listen to me. We are an unholy people. And we can't get too close in this situation he's talking about because God's holiness would overwhelm us. Completely overtake us. Because of His complete and absolute holiness. But He says, come near. Come near. James 4, 8 says, come near to God and He will come near to you. The beauty of this whole thing is this. The more we stay close to God, the farther the things of the world will be from our agenda. Approach the Lord. Secondly, he looks in this and in verse 9, here's what he says. Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. In other words, what he's saying is attend to the Word. Don't just come to God. Don't just come on Sunday mornings. But open up the Word of God. Open up God's Word and, and look at it and, and hear what He's having to say. But more than just hear it, understand what He's having to say and to follow after it. The proclamation would be a testimony of that God is an integral part of my life. The old saying is, the Bible that is tattered and falling apart represents a life that is not. Is kind of what is implied in this. When we come near to God and we attend to His Word and we're reading it, we're understanding it, then we are looking and we're saying, God, I'm serious about You. I need You in my life. You're an integral part. And then the third thing that he pulls out in this, not only attending to the Word of God acknowledges who He is, but acting on the Word of God. Go back to verse 5. In verse 5, you'll notice he says, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. We can read that and we can take it in, but to consecrate ourselves is to say, You know what? I'm going to set myself apart for you, God. The world may be all around me. And there may be contaminants that are coming at me left and right, but I'm going to draw near to you so that I can take in your word and I'm going to act on it. I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do. Keep in mind, they were getting ready to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. And the, the priests were told to get ready. And when God's presence rose up from the ark, they were to set out. And the people of God were to follow after it. Here's the interesting dynamic. They looked at that whole situation there. And they're like going, what am I going to do? There is this river behind, beside us, in front of us. It's at flood stage. How am I going to do it? Not until they put their toes in the water did the water separate. In other words, and when they acted on what God said, God blessed. 
and laid out the way. Look down in verses 15 and 16 and you will see where it tells us all of that. We are not just to hear God's Word. We're not just to suck up to God. But we're to come close to Him and say, God, what are you wanting to say to me? And we hear that through His Word, not just through what some person stands up and says on a Sunday, but through diving into His Word, and then we act on it. Here's the interesting dynamic. Some of you may have heard of a guy by the name of Francis Chan. Francis Chan has got some incredible things. There's not, not everything he says do I wholeheartedly follow after. But here's an illustration that he used some time ago about this very thing. He said, suppose that I looked at my kids, and parents listen up to this. Kids, you might want to listen too. But suppose he looked at his kids and said, hey, you need to go clean up your room. I know, parents, you've never had to say that, right? Kids always clean their rooms up automatically, amen? That's a good place for, uh-oh. He said, but suppose that I went in and told my son, you need to clean your room up. And I went back a few days later and I looked and his room was not any better. In fact, it was worse. And I said, son, did you not understand that I said to clean your room up? And he looked and said, oh, yes, dad, I understood completely. He said, in fact, I understood it so completely that I got some of my friends to come over. And we studied what you told me to do. And we devised a plan of how we should do this. What we needed to do, how we should do it, when we should do it. All these things we laid together. And you know what, Dad? We not only studied it and laid out a plan, but we began to teach it at school. And so all of our friends know exactly how to clean up their rooms. Francis looks at him and says, but you haven't done what I told you to do. Our churches are full of people that are studying God's Word, understanding God's Word, teaching God's Word, but not doing God's Word. If we are going to consecrate ourselves, we draw near to the Lord. We attend to His Word. And we do His Word. We act on it. That's what we're called to do. Now, let's move on quickly because our time is getting away from us. And I know we've got small groups that are coming right after this so you can dive into God's Word and you can attend to it and you can draw near to it and then you can go act on it, right? Amen? Uh Uh-oh. We're not only called to consecrate ourselves from the contaminants of the world, but we are commanded to follow the covenant. In verses 3 and 4, we read again, giving orders to the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are the Levites, carrying it out, you are to move from your positions and follow it. Then, you see that word? Then, only when you act on what God has said to do, then you will know which way to go. And then in verse 5, the Lord tomorrow will do amazing things among you. Right there we find this beautiful picture of what God is saying. He says, follow closely for you're in uncharted waters. 
You don't know which way to go. They're entering to a land that they've only been. Of the group that's left, only Joshua and Caleb had ever been in there before on a spy mission. And they've never been this way. And he says, as you go into this, you're going to have new adventures. You're going to have new opportunities. You're going to have new challenges. And I'm making it imperative that you understand you must follow me because I'm going to take care of you. Years ago, I had the opportunity to take a group of cheerleaders and dance squad from Sanford University to Costa Rica on a mission trip. My daughter was a cheerleader there. So we took them down there to Costa Rica. We arrived late on a Saturday evening, and I was driving a van with some of the adults in it that were with us, and all the cheerleaders were on a bus with our driver, Kike, and their guide, our guide for the trip, which happened to be about a, at the time, a 22-year-old single young man. What? Was I thinking? But we were trying to maneuver through San Jose, going up to our, our place. We were staying in the mountains in the northern part of San Jose. It's dark. Traffic in San Jose is crazy. I've never been there. And Kike, the driver of the bus, comes to me, doesn't speak much English. In fact, doesn't speak English. And he kind of tries to tell me, who doesn't speak anything other than Southern, follow him. He said, follow this white bus. But here's the problem. There were white buses everywhere. So you know what he did? He tied a white handkerchief on the back of the white bus and said, follow. You know what I did? I stuck on the back bumper of that bus like white on rice because I didn't know where I was going. And there were a lot of crazies all around in Costa Rica. You know, when the pandemic hit in 2020, people were scared. They didn't know what to do. And what did they do? They sucked up to God. God, what are we going to do? Now, two years later, are we still drawing near to God? Are we still crying out, God, I need You. Every hour, I need You. He says we're in uncharted waters. But here's the part that's so pretty. He says, follow closely, for we are in for unbelievable wonders. Two things are about to take place. God will destroy the opposition. In fact, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 3 and you read it in the NI, I mean, I'm sorry, in the New American Standard or the ESV, it says something like this, that the Lord God Himself will cross over ahead of you and He will destroy these nations before you and He, and He, and you will dispossess them. Those two words, destroy, that means completely kill. Dispossess, that means take all of their stuff for you. If you read much about the children of Israel, they did not follow that command. They did not completely destroy. They did not completely dispossess. And some of those enemies rose up at a later time to come after them. Reminds me of the story. You got any hunters in here? Anybody go hunting? Nobody? 
of a few. Now, some of you are like, well, okay, yeah, I'll say this. I'll say something. I'm afraid he might call him on. I'm not going to call on When you go get hunting, you go prepare the land ahead of time. A friend of mine in South Alabama, she and her husband were going to do that. And they were in what's called a mule, a side-by-side, UTV. And they were going along, and while they were cleaning up the land, they came upon a rattlesnake. Some of you may like snakes. I'm not one of you. Here's what happened. Her husband, who she affectionately calls Tater, took his shotgun and shot the snake in the head. Then he did something. I don't know why, but he did. He grabbed the snake with the head completely blown to smithereens, threw it in the back of the mule. And they go on about their business. Some of you are smart and you already know what's about to happen. They were driving along and all of a sudden he hits the brakes, crawls out the mule on the other side over his wife, and she's looking at him saying, what are you doing? And he's laughing at everything. And he's fumbling and mumbling and pointing. And that snake had come and wrapped around the pole behind his head. She gets out. So here's the snake has commandeered the mule. Tater and Felicia are outside. You want to know where the gun is? In the mule. So they take a stick and start beating this already mad snake because someone had messed with his head. And the snake kind of falls off the, the mule and down to the ground. He grabs the snake and shoots it again. And again, and again, and again, and again. And here's the moral of the story. If you're going to get in the bed of a mule with something deadly, you better make sure it's dead. If not, it'll come back to bite you. There are many of us in our lives, we have thrown into our lives things of this world that all they know is their nature is attack and kill. And God is saying you need to destroy it. You need to get rid of it. Our time is gone. Here's what I want us to do. There's one other thing. He says not only are you going to be able to see um, unbelievable wonders, you need to destroy the opposition but you need to dispose of the obstacles. Okay? God will dispose of these obstacles. When they came to the Jordan River and they put their foot in, He opened the way. They had seen that as an insurmountable obstacle to cross. They had also seen it as a means of their protection once they got on the other side. No one could come after them. And God said, you better count on Me because I can open it and let you through where I can close it and protect you.